Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey folks, this is the Lakers Legacy Podcast, and we are proud to announce a partnership collaboration with a brand new podcast app. If you're looking for a new way to listen to podcasts that's a lot more interactive and fun, well, look no further than the cooler podcast player on the Apple Store. The app that makes sure you never miss the hottest sports talk by the cooler with like-minded fans and listeners of the same community. So download the Cooler Podcast Player on the Apple Store, search for your favorite podcast, specifically look up the Lakers Legacy Podcast, we are up there right now, subscribe to our Cooler page, click on one of our episodes, listen away, and then join the conversation by commenting away down below on each episode. Add some emojis, like the cringe emoji, because I know that I can be quite cringe. Ask us questions about specific points we made throughout a specific episode. The Cooler Podcast Player is essentially like Reddit, but curated and consolidated per podcast community so that you can join the conversation in a safer, more intimate, and less trolly space than other apps like X. And you can do so with other like-minded Lakers Legacy Podcast listeners. Also, you're likely to find one of us commenting and replying back to you guys directly within each episode feed in the comments section. So grab a drink, make your way over to the cooler, and join the conversation now by downloading the Cooler Podcast Player app. Make sure to add the Lakers legacy to your queue, and let's keep the debates and discussions going beyond the final sign-offs you hear from us at the end of each episode. The Cooler Podcast Player. Listen, then speak your mind. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, baby, tonight, the DJs got us falling in love again. Maybe? Potentially? 
only if he can regain his first-team all-defense status and keep up his current 38% three-point shooting clip. But yeah, maybe tonight the DJ's got us falling in love again. Oh, and by DJ, I'm talking about DeJounte. So today, we actually won't be talking too much about DeJounte Murray, but we will touch upon the inevitability of a D'Angelo Russell trade, as well as a bit of a paradigm shift that we've recently undergone with regards to the type of skill set we're now looking for in any one trade for the Lakers. And then we'll also debate our preferences between two popular Bulls Wings players, in spite of recent reports that there is no chance the Lakers will be trading for one of them, aka Zach Levine. But yes, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And today, with the trade deadline just a week away, we are going to be talking about trades once again. But uh, Tommy, how you doing? Good to have you on, as uh, usual. Hey, thanks. Good to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Sounds like someone has a gun to your head. But yeah, uh, good to have you on. Um, So the question that I wanted to ask you, now that we are past the January 15th trade milestone date, which means we can trade everybody. Trade them all. Except for Jared Vanderbilt. So with that... Being said, I wanted to ask you, we've done trade hypothetical podcasts before. We've talked about trading D'Lo. We've talked about DeJounte Murray, yada, yada, Zach Levine. With regards to trading D'Angelo Russell, to no real fault of his own, although, of course, he could have played more consistently and better this season. He could have been the best player in the NBA, to be fair. He could have been the best player in the NBA, true. But with regards to trading D'Angelo Russell, for you, the question that I want to pose to you is, does it just feel inevitable? For me, do I, do I think the Lakers can win with D'Angelo Russell or at least be a contender in the same vein as they were last year, making it to the Western Conference Finals? I think you guys all know my answer to that is yes. Am I certain Darvin Ham can actually utilize D'Angelo Russell correctly to reach that point again? My answer is no. So with that being said... Do you kind of feel like a D'Angelo Russell trade is inevitable? Or where where do you stand in that respect? I do kind of feel like it's inevitable um, just because of the looking to make, looking for someone to make an excuse. Um, And I think D'Angelo is an easy scapegoat. I think like it's unfortunate because I think D'Angelo really bought into his role this year. And I think that... um, You know, he's not the guy that I think some fans and certainly media and even honestly, some other players kind of want to paint him to be. I think like when he started in the league, he was maybe that like immature guy. I think now this guy has like, you know, he's at least one kid. He's got like a family. He seems like a lot more like grounded. Um, This is a guy who was the number two pick in the draft. His first contract extension was like if not a max and your max contract extension, um, you know, has bounced around, made an all-star team. But, you know, I, I feel like he's at a stage in his career where he's almost like, it's like this season he is almost approached with like this zen-like um, sort of quiet confidence. I feel like he came in preseason and we saw from like game one of preseason, he was locked in. We've talked about in all our preseason podcasts, he doesn't look like the same guy. He looks super assertive. Um, I do feel like that has regressed a little bit. I mean, obviously part of that is due to how he has been utilized in his role and maybe not getting the feedback he needed to kind of continue to push him on the path he was on. But I think the team needs a scapegoat. I think 
Darvin Ham, for whatever reason, is not, it's just like he does not trust D'Angelo Russell on either end. Um, certainly not on the defensive end, even though it's like amusing because he's not our worst defensive guard. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it just, it feels like if we're going to, he's on a one year deal effectively because he's going to opt out after this year. Even if he like just keeps the same current stats, like I think somebody will probably pay him more than 17, 18 million. So he's probably going to opt out anyway. Like you can trade him and get something back for him. He's like a fairly substantial salary ballast in, in, you know, any trade. Um, And he's like not part, you know, we gave Austin a long-term contract. We gave Rui a long-term contract. We gave Vando a long-term contract besides like the desirability of trading for a shorter term deal, uh, which Delo has. um, I think like he's clearly not part of management's long-term plans um, or at least wasn't as of last summer. And I don't think anything's happened this, this season to change that. So I, I think it's unfortunately I, I won't say likely, but if someone's going to get traded, it would not surprise be it would not surprise me if it was him. Yeah, it sucks. It's unfortunate. We wanted to make it work. Uh, Ham has been an impediment to that, but it is what it is. So, in light of that, I feel like I don't know where you stand on this, but I feel like the Lakers just have to continually they continually need to make Darvin Ham's life easier for him. It's clear that Darvin Ham needs some hand-holding with regards to, in any sort of quote-unquote offensive system, the plan seems to be just have several guys who can actually be primary initiators, give them the ball, and do a little bit of my turn, your turn, hot potato, just make something happen. Kind of like the Byron Scott model of things. And so for me, my viewpoints have changed with regards to the trade market. In the past, I would have said, yeah, 3 and D all the way, but... I feel like we have a lot of those guys and mainly like only three or only D sort of guys who can kind of do a little bit of the other thing, but not surefire three and D guys. And those are always the types of players who are hard to come by on the market anyways. And so given the fact that the Lakers and Darvin Ham specifically seems to need just guys who can take it to the hole, can do something with the ball, can create something on their own. I feel like my primary target now, Tommy, is deviating back to just finding a primary initiator, not even necessarily a playmaker like we said before where we were like, if we trade D'Angelo Russell, we need a playmaker back. Because as we've seen, I don't even think Darvin Ham values playmaking in general. Otherwise, D'Angelo Russell would have gotten more consistent minutes, would have had the ball more in his hands to run pick and roll with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I think Darvin Ham just wants a dude who can create a bucket, get to the hole. And which is why Austin Reeves like has succeeded a little better recently. And so for me, I'm kind of focused on primary scorers, dudes who can get a bucket. Do you have anything to say about that? It's interesting because it's like, it is a deviation from like, you know, it feels like for years we had more of those guys than we had defensive guys. We had more of those guys than we had like long defensive wings. And now it's like we have all these wings and we don't have anyone who can pass so it's sort of like the similar problem to like (laughs) or score it's similar to the problem the clippers kind of have had the last few years with their like batum covington Kawhi, paul george marcus morris like you know they would roll out like eight wing lineups um plus terrence mann and so they like didn't have like a point guard to like kind of manage everything and and Honestly, you're kind of seeing, using that same example, you're seeing the success they've had with Harden then, right? Like, coming in as, like, basically a play, playing the point guard role and, and doing good things for them. So, 
I, I agree. We do need something like that. Okay, so with that in mind, looking at some players and some of these guys we've talked about in the past, I think the Lakers... I think the Lakers are going to try to look for trades that don't necessarily require them to toss in their 2029 first. Is that safe to say? Do you Are you along that same line of thinking? Yeah. It's going to be hard to do that. <laughs> There's no question. But let's say if the Lakers were to throw in their 2029 first, the type of player we're looking for is in line with like a Donovan Mitchell, DeJounte Murray type, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Okay. And we've said this before, but I'll just clarify again if the lakers can get Dejounte murray for d'angelo russell 2029 first jhs max christie whoever we have to throw in you would do that deal right yes okay i agree with you to an extent but i agree with you more so because i just feel like the circumstances and the way the season has gone has have forced the Lakers into this position more than I am gung-ho about making this type of deal for DeJounte Murray because as I've expressed in the past, I just don't believe in his clunky fit next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. He has struggled to share the ball with a ball-dominant point guard like Trey Young. While he has upped his three-point percentage this season, including his volume to 38%, hitting almost like 2.3 a game, I'm not sure how much we can trust that. His defense has tailed off, and it seems like he's much more of a defensive player by reputation than anything else, although you can argue that putting on the Lakers jersey and with a change of environment, he'll be able to regain that defensive tenacity. I'm, again, just worried that the Lakers are trading their best three-point shooter for an objectively worse one, While they may be getting some defense back, they're losing their best non-LeBron James playmaker in D'Angelo Russell, the guy who had the best chemistry pick-and-roll-wise with Anthony Davis. And yes, we gained some aggressive downhill paint attacking with DeJounte Murray. We gained some athleticism. But again, I'm just worried that we're getting ourselves into like a richer man's Russell Westbrook redux here that we may regret down the line. But because of the practical implications surrounding D'Angelo Russell's expiring contract slash player option next season and wondering whether or not he'll even pick up that player option to stay with the Lakers and wanting a another player of value like DeJounte Murray, who's on a multi-year contract to use as salary ballast in the worst-case scenario... Um, use as a athletic pairing next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James in the best case scenario. Given all of those things, I agree with the trade, but I'm not that enthused by it is, is what I'll say. But putting DeJounte Murray to the side, I do want to go back to the Chicago Bulls. And while I know that Windhorse has said in the past that Zach Levine to the Lakers trade is 0% likely, and that's probably even sunk even more given the fact that Zach Levine is nursing an ankle injury. I do just want to talk about Zach Levine with respect to one of his other Bulls teammates. And so I want to add into this conversation DeMar DeRozan because I can't believe I've gotten to this point, Tommy, where I have actually been watching some DeMar DeRozan tape recently. And while I've always been more of a Zach Levine type guy... 
I have gotten to the point where it doesn't matter if DeMar DeRozan does not shoot threes or is a volume three-point shooter. He's just a guy who, in the mid-range, he can get a bucket. Give him the ball. There's no confusion as to what he's going to do. He will find a way to score the basketball, you know? And I think that's the type of player we need. So while on paper I would much prefer a Zach Levine type who can really fill it up from the outside and still take it to the hole and is a little bit more sexy and aesthetically pleasing to watch, I've also opened my mind up to just DeMar DeRozan in general. The problems with Zach Levine, we've already stated, it it really lies on his bloated contract and the fact that he's going to be making like $43 $43 million this year, or actually $40 million this year, 43 the next year, 48 the next year after that. And it's it's problematic because, you know, in a DeMar DeRozan situation, there is a possibility that the Lakers can only give up, only have to give up a D'Angelo Russell and maybe a Gabe Vincent and not have to give Rui Hachimura, although probably the Bulls would want that. In a Levine deal, it's very, very hard to not have both D'Angelo Russell and Rui in that trade package. And so it makes me a little bit wary, but kind of the same line of thinking that I had with regards to Jarvin Ham's misutilization of D'Angelo Russell. I maybe am also at the point where I'm like, you know what? He's not really using Rui Hachimura correctly anyways. So is it all that bad to trade D'Lo and Rui uh, for Zach Levine? So I guess where do you stand on that Bulls trade package of Zach Levine and or DeMar DeRozan? Not and or, or DeMar DeRozan, because I think we're at a point and maybe the Bulls are at a point where the Lakers don't necessarily have to give up the 2029 first to get either. Um, maybe they do, they just have to like lottery protect it, but I think they may be able to get away, especially with Zach Levine, who it doesn't seem like he has a lot of trade suitors around the market. And it may be almost a Russell Westbrook situation, not in terms of skill set, but in terms of contract where another team taking on Levine may be doing the Bulls a favor. And so they may only require a JHS or a Max Christie. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Levine or DeRozan at this point? So... I think Levine we've talked about, and I and I think my stance is kind of the same as as it was. I just think it w- it's going to cost too much to get someone like him. I, I, the players is one thing, but it's like the picks is another thing. And I don't know that Levine, like Levine, obviously moves the needle for us. He's a very very good player. He's like a borderline all star. He has a tremendous output. He he does everything we just talked about. What we needed on this team, he pretty much can do. He can distribute he can score at a at a elite rate he's a fantastic player i really like him i feel like he's he's not like a complete um you know ghost on defense he he can put some effort in on that end um when he's engaged i think the thing is if you if you're looking forward to this summer and i think that this is how this this front office has to be viewing this especially given lebron like is is kind of nearing the end of his career right we're going to have three f- tradable first round picks for the first time in a very long time this summer. Most likely 2025, 2020, uh, or excuse me, most likely um, 2024, 2026, and 2028, I guess, right? Because the Pelicans can defer to 2025, and I 
it remains to be seen what happens i guess with the rest of the season they, I guess m- like, they might I just take this i shouldn't thing, speak yeah. too soon but I, I assume that they might try to defer um if if things kind of can turn around for us a little bit but the point is we're gonna have three picks uh three first rounders to trade we're gonna have 40 million plus of tradable salaries between guys like vando rui austin um jhs etc etc guys we have uh, on multi-year deals I think that, like, if you're going to get a true alpha, like, new 1A slash 1B to put next to Anthony Davis to continue kind of this train and in the transition of LeBron out of the NBA, like, I think you kind of, like, have to wait for that. Uh, maybe that seems crazy, but, like, I just don't know that Zach Levine, especially if you have to give up multiple players, like, multiple critical depth pieces and multiple picks to get him. What about no picks? What? Cause I think it's a legitimate realistic scenario. Let's say it's just JHS and Max Christie and Rui and D'Lo. And Zach Levine just becomes like the salary ballast for the next superstar who potentially would be making that same amount. Now the problem is his contract goes on like two more years after that. And I don't know if a team, usually teams when they're giving away a superstar, they want that, $40 million to be expiring, right? But let's just say no picks. You can get Zach Levine. Yeah, if no picks, I, I mean, that does change the calculus. Um, and maybe I'd be more interested in something like that. Because then you go into the summer with, like, a young all-star slash, you know, borderline borderline all-star most years player plus three picks. I mean, that's, like, a pretty good package to get um, a good player. I, I just I do want to talk about the Demar thing though because I actually am more interested in that I, and and I was more by the way I'm not oh, gonna, interesting I'm not gonna pull the records we we should dump all these podcasts into an AI because I'm pretty sure the AI <laughs> can find that I mentioned Demar Derozan during the Russ era as like somebody who I would much much rather rather have than Russ right over so, Russ absolutely yeah, Even yeah I and, was and maybe that's like that, a, yeah. maybe that's like a low bar right okay, given the, the fit with Russ on this team but the thing that I've always liked about DeMar is like to your point right he's not going to shoot threes I'll say this about DeMar it kind of fits this like it, it, it almost would be like a fitting end to like his story right he's 34 years old this is like kind of like it's going to be the last few years of his career coming up here he was supposed to be on our team like four years or three years ago, right? When we did the Russ thing. He <laughs> thought he was going to be on the team. Everyone's seen the reports. Like, everyone's seen the interviews. Like, he's from LA. He thought he was going to be on our team. He had ended up not happening. It would only be fitting that, like, at the end of that contract that he signed at that time, like, you know, he gets moved to, like, the team that he should have been on the whole time. Um, and it's, like, a coming full circle sort of moment that I feel like the Lakers somehow always end up in these situations. But it, it feels like, you know, the, the the script is there, right? So he is not a three-point shooter. He does not help our spacing issues in that regard. However, he does so many things other on the court, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that, like kind of it kind of makes the fact that he's not a elite three-point shooter not a big deal because if you throw it out to DeMar DeRozan and they're not closing out from him on the corner three he's going to take a couple steps into the mid-range and take his mid-range jumper where he's like money I mean the dude is like career like high 40s as a, as a volume mid-range shooter he was 50 percent basically 
one, two, three, four, four, like the last four years, he's been right right around 50% shooting from the field. And he was 48% prior to that. Obviously dipped a little bit this year, but the Bulls are not a very good team. He is shooting 35% from three on low volume. And I'm just flagging this now because some guy is going to say, oh, Lakers curse. He shot 35% and now he's shooting 18%. (laughs) But that's like, he's, we know he's not a three point shooter. But again, he gets to the line um, seven times a game. He, and has done that consistently throughout his career and shoots at like an elite rate. He averages over five assists a game and has for a couple years at like an absurd assist to turnover ratio. So we talked about playmaking before. There's your playmaking. I don't know what the analytics say on his defense, but I know just like from the eye test, when he's like engaged, and certainly during his time with the Raptors, during his time with the Spurs, again, I haven't really followed him with the Bulls. Sorry, there was just an earthquake. <laughs> there was just an earthquake indeed. Uh, the earthquake gods are, I don't know what they have to say about DeMar DeRozan, but it's its shaking things up for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um you know, I I think he can lock in defensively. He's got good length. He's got good strength. I just feel like he... And he's playing 36 minutes a game. Like, he, we, we don't need him to play that many minutes per game. So yeah. I just feel like he fills a lot of holes on this team. And he wouldn't be that expensive to get. He's an expiring contract. He's 34 no. years old. I would be surprised if anyone is... I mean, maybe some desperate pseudo contender gives up a first round pick for him but like that would be very surprising i think we're no, kind he's of expiring past, yeah we're kind of past the point of like expiring guys get first round picks um so i think there is some sort of like you know delo uh pack delo plus fillers package that we could try to like work out with them um and and i i don't know i i feel like he would be kind of the the missing piece with LeBron and AD, he fits the timeline. He's 34 years old. He's a veteran. Like, he just doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Again, this dude is averaging over five assists per game and 1.4 turnovers. And, I mean, we, we, we just played the Bulls, like, a couple weeks ago. I mean, this dude is, like, they run the offense through him, basically, especially, like, when Levine's not playing. Um, so that's like pretty impressive to me. And, and again, yeah. the fact that this guy is averaging seven uh, free throw attempts per game, like basically over the course of his entire career, including like the last several years, like that hasn't dipped at all. Like imagine that with LeBron, with AD, like guys who are also drawing like a high volume of free throws. We're just going to, it kind of reminds you of like, you know. It's just like if we're going to commit to like a let's pound the ball into the paint thing, we should have gotten we should have gotten guys who were good at pounding the ball into the paint um, like we yeah. did in 2019, 2020. And, and DeMar kind of fits that that mold. Yeah. And if Darvin Ham is your coach again and you need to just have players who you can give the ball to and make something happen. DeMar DeRozan fits that mold. He's kind of like Dennis Schroeder, not stylistically, but in terms of the skill sets that they can bring. He's kind of like Dennis Schroeder giving you that downhill attack, getting you the free throws, plus Austin Reeves giving you that mid-range, giving you that playmaking, but in a 6'6 person's body. I think it's important for the Lakers to actually get that scoring at that wing position and to have DeMar DeRozan be that guy. I can't believe I'm on board as much as I am, but I am on board with this DeMar DeRozan um, plan here. And while in a vacuum, I would still prefer Zach Levine for everything I've stated in terms of the aesthetically pleasing nature of his game. He is kind of like D'Lo, but 
in an athletic person's body who can take it to the rack. Um, in terms of flexibility, in a vacuum, I'd still put Levine's above DeMar DeRozan because of age and all that stuff. Um, but in terms of realistic, the realistic nature of their contracts and the fact that the Lakers will maintain flexibility with DeMar DeRozan um, and the fact that he's expiring, yeah. At this point, I think I would put DeRozan over uh, Zach Levine, which is crazy. But I'm also at the point where if we get either of these guys... I can be convinced that, yeah, this is what we needed to salvage this season. And I don't think any one trade, either of these trades, is going to save our season. I'm just looking at this point, Tommy, to make the season more palatable to my no, eye I in agree. terms of watching I, this I, team. You know? No, I 100% agree. And by the way, I will say another perk of getting someone like DeMar is if we do end up, like, let's say we get DeMar, he doesn't cost a first-round pick. We end up in the summer, we, you know, back to my scenario where we have three first-round picks and we still have, like, a fair amount of expiring contracts. We can make us still try to make a trade for another star player and retain DeMar's um, bird rights. So, you know, it it, it does allow us to have some flexibility um, with how how to build the team moving forward and... And worst case scenario, if he he doesn't pan out, you just let him walk because the biggest asset you gave away for him most likely was a guy who was going to walk anyway. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so that'll wrap it up with regards to talking about these scoring guards on the Bulls, scoring wings. Um, Really quickly, though. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Other guys to look at in this same vein that may require the 2029 first. What are your thoughts on bringing back Kyle Kuzma at this point? I don't know if you've had a chance to look at his contract, but I think Kuzma may be on one of the team friendliest deals I've ever seen because it de-escalates. He's making $25 million this year. Then it goes down to 23. Then it goes down to 21. Then it goes down to 19 in 26, 27. At that point, that might be the mid-level, you know? And granted, Kuzma will be 31. But yeah, apparently the Wizards don't have Kyle Kuzma in their future. 
I think if they opened him up to the market, I mean, that's... it's just hilarious because it's like, it's like they just gave him this massive extension this past summer. It's like now, like halfway into the season, they don't have him in their future. Yeah, I know. And Kuzma's having a really great season, even though, again, it's a looter in a riot situation. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on bringing back Kyle Kuzma if it costs like the 2029 protected first or whatever? Um, and then in that same vein, your thoughts on Jeremy Grant as well, who is in a similar situation with the Portland Trailblazers. The problem with Jeremy Grant, though, is he is on a much larger, much more bloated contract than Kyle Kuzma. Um, but a lot of the similar same themes apply to both. So Jeremy Grant's making $27 million this year, $29 million next year, 32 the next year after that, 34 in 26, 27. And then he has a player option of $36 million on 27-28. So maybe that's a non-starter. But yeah, what are your thoughts on getting scoring wings in the vein of Kyle Kuzma and Jeremy Grant? Kyle Kuzma, I mean, I love Kuz. I think he's like a solid player. I, I don't know that Kuz really fits what we need. And I think Grant fits it more, right? And I think there's a reason Kuz got the contract he did and Grant got the contract he did. I mean, I think Kuz is a really, really good player. I I just think, like, you know, we're committed to Rui for four years on a reasonable deal. We're committed to guys like Austin four years on a reasonable deal. Vando, like, we know what he can bring defensively. Fairly reasonable deal, even though he hasn't been that great for us this season. I think the thing about Kuzma is, like, where it is, like, again, it's it's a looter and a riot thing, like you mentioned. His best statistical seasons have been the seasons where he was playing for nothing. I mean... That's not like a knock on him. It's just like you you kind of have to react to the, you know, you're you play the the hand you're dealt, right? So it's it's not try, intended to be a knock on him, but but that is what it is. And so I just feel like the numbers are a little bit inflated. You could say the same thing about Jeremy Grant. However, Jeremy Grant has hit like forty percent from three several seasons, including the last two, including this year. Um, so. You know, he seems like more of a sure thing, reliable scorer. Um, you obviously still get the defense. I think you get the defense with both of them. I think Jeremy Grant does give you a little bit more um, length than Kuz. I haven't looked at his measurables, but I'm pretty sure he does. They're like the same height, I believe. Um, but I just feel like the consistency and the efficiency, Grant, in my mind, has like a slight, slight advantage. But that could just be a bias of like having Kuz on the team already and having thinking I know his game versus Grant, but maybe I don't, you mm-hmm. know, but that's just a, a preference, I think. Yeah, I think Jeremy Grant's defense has slipped tremendously the last couple of years, but that could just be circumstantial because of the setting that he's in. Um, I would still take Kuz over Jeremy Grant for the familiarity factor, actually, because we know at the worst case scenario that he can fit with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I think as LeBron has... LeBron and AD have declined in terms of just their, I don't want to say usage, but just their durability. I think Kuzma's in a position now where the elevators are meeting each other at the right spot, whereas in 2019-20, Kuzma was like a 12-point bench scorer, and he didn't necessarily have the trust of the coaches. He's been allowed to kind of let his wings loose a little bit in in Washington, find his game, realize what he needs to cut out of his game, what he needs to add, the aggression that he needs to have at all times, et cetera, et cetera. And I think if he comes back to the Lakers, he will be a much better measured player who will be able to take on the burden of an offense more and not shy away from 
being timid or not, yeah, being timid and all that stuff and not let his head get to him if he's not shooting well. And so I think if he comes back to the Lakers, he will be more a more consistent, maybe still 18 to 20 point score if that's what they're looking for him to do. And in this scenario, I think that's, that is what they'd ask Kuzma to do, become more of that third, that third guy scorer. But I would not complain if we got Jeremy Grant or Kuzma. I just like the continuity and familiarity with Kuzma and obviously the better contract flexibility because again in three years Kuzma is making 19 million dollars and Jeremy Grant will be making 36 so that's something to take into account although I do agree with you Jeremy Grant has the better measurables he does have a seven foot three wingspan so something to keep in mind I don't know I don't know if either of those teams will just take a 2029 first I don't know if the Lakers would be willing to give up one of their main ammo and assets for just Kuzma or Jeremy Grant, but that's out there. What about some other guys who won't take, who I'm sure probably won't take a 2029 first round pick? Two guys on the Charlotte Hornets, PJ Washington and Gordon Hayward. Uh, PJ Washington is pretty much getting phased out in in Charlotte because of uh, the return of Miles Bridges. Um, But if you remember, there was a, a time and point where you know, people wanted P.J. Washington over a guy like Rui Hashimura. Now, you may say it's kind of redundant to get P.J. Washington. Wouldn't he just be another Rui? And, yeah, that's a fair argument. But, um, yeah, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on P.J. Washington? Gordon Hayward is all, also there. He is making $30 million. I don't think if we would take a first-round pick to get. Maybe Gordon Hayward's more of like a buyout guy for the Lakers to look at if he is bought out. Um, do those move the needle at all, you, even if you, you can get them for essentially nothing and then I'll also shoehorn Bojan Bogdanovich here but I don't think the Pistons the Pistons have been very weird about the assets that they've held on to um but let's just say hypothetically for the purposes of this exercise you can get either PJ Washington Gordon Hayward or Bojan Bogdanovich for JHS and Max Christie and whatever salary ballast you need likely D'Angelo Russell I just don't know that any of these trades I mean it just feels like swapping players around I don't know that any of these ones like necessarily make us significantly better. Maybe I'm jaded based on how the way the season has gone so far, but like exchanging one dimensional guys on one end for one dimensional guys on another end, or, you know, exchanging offensive players for other offensive players. I don't know that that's necessarily um, what this, what this team needs. I mean, if we can't get like D'Angelo Russell, who averaged eight, three attempts per game, has averaged over nine three attempts per game in his career at, at, at various points. Um, if we can't get him looks, then how are we going to get Bojan Bogdanovich, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich looks, you know, like it just, it, it feels like kind of futile. Yeah. I think sadly that's the point of this exercise. And, you know, the premise of this trade section has been just to make a trade because a D'Angelo Russell trade is inevitable. So it's not even necessarily like, Will it move the needle? Maybe not, but it's just a change for change's sake. And I, I don't agree with that, but I feel like the front office might do it uh, because of Darvin Ham. Um, and obviously we've had larger discussions on Darvin Ham in the past. But yeah, I, I agree with you, I, though. I don't think any of these moves move the needle. I do think the Lakers could use just actual shooting, Um Will we free up Bojan Bogdanovic for these threes? No, but I think he's a sniper who can hit threes. Will Gordon Hayward help um, in terms of his versatility on offense? I think he would. P.J. Washington seems very redundant to Rui Hachimura, but 
you have another scoring forward option. But yeah, he's definitely lower on the on lower on the rung here. Um, lastly, in terms of small guards, though, what are your thoughts on Jordan Clarkson, Buddy Heald, and Alec Burks? Um, Jordan Clarkson. I have have become more and more open to the thought of bringing Jordan Clarkson back as this Lou Will, prime Lou Will guy off the bench that I think they've tried to make Austin Reeves be. They tried to make D'Angelo Russell be at different parts of the season. And Jordan Clarkson, to me, just kind of fits that mold of what we've been talking about so far in terms of just get another guy who you can give the ball to, and you know he knows his role. You know exactly what he's going to do. He's not going to play defense. He's not necessarily going to shoot efficiently at all times, but he can get a bucket. I mean, again, I, I I like Jordan Clarkson. I think he is the more realized version of sort of what we're trying to do with Austin. Um, he's definitely, obviously, he's a veteran. He's a lot more progressed in his skills um, at this stage. But again, it's like... Do we find minutes for this guy? If if like the standard is you have to be defending like Cam Reddish, and even if your defense, even even if your offense is like among the worst in the league, if you're defending like Cam, you can only play if you defend like Cam Reddish. Like that's where where were the minutes going to come for this guy on this team? These are the things that I'm like, you know, it's nice to we do need offense. Our offense is struggling. We do need some scoring guards, but I don't know that you know, bringing in Jordan Clarkson really, how much is he going to play? 17 minutes? That Like, that's how much we've been playing our non-defenders, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fair question. It's a valid point. I think you'd hope, or not hope, but you'd hope that any sort of switch up would be because the coach has plans for this this or that player. But again, that's assuming a lot. Anyways, we've gone long on this trade segment. That'll do it. Just an exercise in like a paradigm shift of sorts with regards to do we actually need more scoring than we do another, I don't want to call it one-dimensional or a two-dimensional 3 and D guy, but it, it, it seems like with regards to how Darvin Ham has set this season up and this roster up, that the Lakers do need more scoring help than was initially thought, and they do miss Dennis Schroeder's downhill attacking ability. So in light of that, here are a few names who can sort of potentially fill that role at the guard position and the wing position so that'll do it for this discussion and tommy we shall see if any of them come to fruition in the next month or so as the trade deadline looms so with that said i will catch you next time peace laters credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.